Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, if you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. This is Palm Sunday, and we're going to be talking a lot about that this morning. Uh, but before we get into the scripture, we'll be in John 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, just some updates on where we are in terms of new building timeline. Uh, we, are, we are at the... Uh, at the place where it's like weekly we're getting updates. And so um, I've, first let me just share the challenging news and then I'll share the good news. The challenging news, and I'll call it bad news. The challenging news is we won't be in our new building for Easter next Sunday, okay? So all this is according to God's timetable. So we're not calling it bad news, but what's challenging is, is that we're gonna have to figure out how to make do with this room on our biggest Sunday of the year, okay? And so what I want to um, invite you to do, call you to do, uh, beg you to do, however what you want to throw in there, is to consider coming to our eight o'clock service next Sunday, especially our regulars. Now, if you're visiting here today, you come back to whatever service works best for you guys. But uh, for next Sunday, if you're a regular here and you could come to the 8 a.m., that would be awesome. We're doing toddlers and nursery in the 8 a.m. to help out with any who have the littles. Um, and so if you've got older kids, just bring them to service with you. Um, but I think if we do that, we'll be able to make it through next Sunday without turning anybody away or uh, maybe even having to use the overflow room. So that's our plan for next Sunday, for Easter Sunday. Um, please, if you can, come to the eight o'clock. Now, uh, Good Friday service will be in here uh, this coming uh, Friday, 6.30. We'll be in here for Good Friday. If you've never been a part of that, this is a really special service. It's different from any other services that we do. Um, it is a time where we come together and we reflect on the death of our Savior. And uh, it's a short service. I think with communion and all, it's about 40 minutes. Um, but it is a time to come together and we'll actually leave that service in silence with, with a heaviness on our hearts um, as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection on Sunday. And so it is, it is a different kind of service, but if you've never been a part of the Good Friday service, I invite you to come back 6.30 in this room, and then we'll meet together as the church on Sunday, three services here to celebrate Easter together. Now, here's the good news. We do have a date now uh, for our new building opening. We're planning on being in our new building on Friday for Vision Night, which is April the 16th. And I wanna make sure that you mark your calendars. This is gonna be a really special time as well. We're calling it Vision Night because it includes vision that has already been accomplished, vision that is being accomplished today and vision that's yet to come and to be accomplished. And so we're gonna be inviting people from Solid Rock's history, uh, from those who've been a part of our church who maybe have moved or staff members who've moved on, those who've been a part of the journey in the past, obviously inviting those who are part of the present, which is you guys, but we're also gonna be inviting our community, uh, the people who live in the neighborhoods around us to come be a part of this night. Um, as they've been watching the new building going up, maybe there's some curiosity about what's going on inside the buildings. We're gonna invite them as well to come be a part of that night in the new building on Friday, uh, April 16th at 6.30. Come be a part of that. It's gonna be a sweet, sweet time together. All right, uh, last but not least, um, if you were here last Sunday, we had the uh, serving all in cards available. They're available today as well. If God has put it on your heart to get more involved in serving, um, you can do that. There's options on the back that you can check. There's also, I'd just like to talk with a pastor about what it means to serve. We'd be more than happy to set that up. So if you have not, this is the last Sunday that we'll be uh, taking these up. So grab one, fill it out, drop it in the brown box on your way out if God's calling you to get more involved, even if you don't know what that looks like or what that means specifically. All right, so it is Palm Sunday, and as we step back into the Gospel of John series, that's exactly where we are in the Gospel of John, Palm Sunday. Okay, so a little bit of background. Where we left off uh, in the story was where Jesus and his disciples had returned 
back to the same town or village where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so as you can imagine, it was quite the celebration as he came back to this little village. Jesus is coming, his disciples are coming. Let's throw a dinner party. And so Simon the leper hosts the party at his house, Jesus, his disciples, everybody who wants to come be a part of this celebration. This is where Mary takes the expensive nard and this perfume-like substance and she anoints Jesus' feet and, and wipes them with her hair. Okay, that all took place on Saturday before Palm Sunday, okay? So we're gonna talk for a minute about, in just a minute about why it's called Palm Sunday, what that means for us, okay? So we're gonna start today in John 12, uh, verse 12. Another important note, and this is gonna be helpful for the next several chapters to understand. We talked last time, it's about four weeks ago in the Gospel of John, how um, the, the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they were seeking to arrest Jesus. And they got to a place where they said, no longer are we just trying to arrest him. We need to kill him and put him to death. Okay, guilty before tried. Well, in addition to that, after that big dinner party at Simon Leper's house and the Pharisees saw how many people came to that, especially those who were associated with Lazarus, they've now put a death warrant on Lazarus's head as well. So all that is in the backdrop now as we move towards the cross. Now the Gospel of John is gonna take seven chapters to get from Sunday to Friday. So a lot is gonna take place in the week following Palm Sunday. We today are just gonna look at the initial events of that day and what that means for each of our lives. So starting in verse 12, we read the next day. So this is going to Sunday. The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So again, this is the next day. This is the beginning of the Passover week for the, for the nation of Israel. They've been celebrating this Passover week since the Exodus, uh, where God miraculously um, rescued them from oppression and slavery in Egypt and began their wilderness journey. They instituted a celebration at that point where every year they would remember as a nation God's rescue and God's salvation that came to them and rescued them out of slavery. So that's the Passover. So on this particular day, it's a really significant day um, uh, for the Passover celebration. Sunday was the day that the father of each household would go out to the flock and make the final selection on which lamb would be slaughtered for the Passover meal later that week. So the father would go out to the flock and look, looking for that special lamb, the spotless lamb, the lamb without blemish. And at this point on Sunday, he would isolate that lamb from the rest of the flock clean it up, fatten it up, and get it ready to be slaughtered. I don't think it's any coincidence at all that this is the day our heavenly father takes Jesus, the lamb who is to be slain, and begins to prepare him to be slaughtered as well. We think about how the scriptures describe Jesus Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians in, in chapter five, he's gonna refer to Jesus as the Christ, the Passover lamb that has been sacrificed. Peter in 1 Peter 1 will describe Jesus this way. He says to the church, knowing that you've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
We know that the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, talking about the Messiah who was to come, describes the Messiah as one who would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And so now here we have on Passover Sunday, we have this event where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. So all around Jerusalem, imagine this, they kept the flocks all out in the fields around Jerusalem. The fathers were going out into the fields, making that selection. And one by one, you'd see a father coming, bringing a lamb back into Jerusalem and preparing to pin him up and clean him up. And here comes another father with the lamb. And here comes another father with the lamb. All the while, our heavenly father is bringing the precious lamb who would be slain for our sins into Jerusalem. Now we see that there was a large crowd gathered here and and some people estimate this crowd in the millions, but certainly in the tens of thousands, more than likely in the hundreds of thousands, Jerusalem was, like you have to think about, so first of all, Jerusalem was a big city, a lot of people. Okay, this is, this is Passover. So not only the citizens of Jerusalem getting ready to celebrate Passover, but all the Jews from all the surrounding villages and towns were also making their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So this week was a big week for Jerusalem. So hundreds of thousands of people now gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. But you also have a large crowd that's coming with Jesus and his disciples because of the resurrection of Lazarus. Because if you remember, that was a big deal. He comes back and they throw this big dinner party and this huge crowd has gathered and they're now following Jesus and his disciples as they make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So all these people now are here in Jerusalem for this moment. And we read in verse 13 that they took palm uh, branches from palm trees and went out to meet him. Now the palm branches were um, somewhat a, a special thing. It signified something important was happening Um, Oftentimes, palm branches were used to signify the beginning of a feast, like the Feast of Booths was a special feast that would last from Sunday to Sunday, and you knew the feast was starting because of the palm branches. They would bring the palm branches out and do like a parade with palm branches. These palm branches were these, they're actually leaves, but they can go from like six to 12 feet. Got a big stem, this big fan-like leaf on top. You could fan somebody who was like a king with it. You could put shade over somebody. You've seen it in the movies and, and maybe in pictures. And these are the palm branches that they were using here. So it's really significant that the crowd begins to take palm branches out to the streets to meet Jesus. Other gospel accounts say not only were they taking palm branches, but they were taking their, their cloaks, their coats off as well, and throwing them down on the street for him to, to pass over, to walk over as he enters into Jerusalem. So we know these palm branches are really important. I want you to just, for a minute, journey with me to the book of Revelation at the second coming of Christ. I want you to listen to the description of Jesus' second coming in Revelation 7 and think about what we're reading here now as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all people and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So what we're seeing here on this first Palm Sunday is kind of a snapshot of what is to come at the second coming. The difference will be, it won't just be the, 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 the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the Jews from surrounding villages. It will be all nations making their pilgrimage to the throne room of God. 
All of us taking palm branches, like you and I getting to do what's happening right here to celebrate the return of our King, Jesus. Now what's really important is to look at what they're shouting. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So the name Hosanna in a practical sense, it was representative of a a prayer, God save us. Okay, so if you cry that out, you were in a place of desperation. I need to be rescued. You've been there, right? You probably didn't use the word Hosanna, but that's what that word meant for these people. I'm in a desperate situation. God, save us, rescue us. And they have been praying that prayer for hundreds and hundreds of years. God, save us. It shows up in songs that they would sing. It was part of their prayer life. It was also um, a word that represented adoration. It was a way that you would express your adoration towards, towards God. I believe that you can save me. Like we, we're calling out to you because you can. And so it was this beautiful prayer of adoration and desperation. But it was also a title of the coming Messiah. So the word Hosanna was a title that was reserved to describe this coming one, this, this coming Messiah who would come to be the king of Israel, who would sit on the throne of David forever. And so that's essentially what they're crying out. Hosanna, God save us. And as they pointed this at Christ, what they were saying is, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the one to save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even what? The King of Israel. And so it's hard for us sitting here today to catch the full weight of this moment to understand that thousands of years of expectation are erupting right now. So from the, from the moment that God began to promise and prophesy he would send a Messiah, the nation of Israel it would go through seasons. They would go through seasons, albeit they're pretty short, of faithfulness, following the Lord, walking in the statutes of the Lord, and then they would go through long seasons of rebellion, they would go through seasons of doubt and discouragement, and so there were times where there would be a generation that would, that would rekindle this promise of God. God is going to rescue us. Come on. Let's hold on to our faith. Let's not give up. Only what? To give way to the next generation that would say, nah, God forgot his promises. He's not going to send a Messiah. For thousands of years now, the nation of Israel have been through these seasons. And all of this is erupting right now with this public declaration in Jerusalem. Our king is here. There he is. Our Messiah is here. Our Savior is here. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He, in fact, is the King of Israel. Now, moving forward into verse 14, we read, it's not just that he entered Jerusalem, it's how he entered Jerusalem. It's really important. All the gospel accounts record this detail. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Just as is, is written, fear not, daughter of, of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now let's get into the practicality of what's happening and then we'll get into the prophecy here. So the practicality of this is that Jesus is in fact riding a young colt into Jerusalem. Now if you're in the, you've been around farms and ranches and you know when you see the word colt, he's riding it here, this more than likely is a two-year-old, right? So this is the time of year, we're in the spring, where you start breaking your colts, start breaking your horses at two years old, okay? And so what's happening is more than likely, this colt was either fresh green broke or hadn't been ridden at all. 
So here's why that's important. So not everybody had a donkey. Donkeys were kind of a valuable commodity, okay? It had been like having a, a car, you know, in the 20s or 30s. Some people had them. Most people didn't have them yet, right? It's not like today where we've got three or four at our house, right? It's like, no, I know somebody who has a car. Wow, that's a big deal. He must be rich or wealthy. Okay, that's kind of how a donkey was here. But to have a donkey that had never been ridden would be like having a brand new car that's never been driven. Okay, you were saving it for something special. And so kings would ride into the city on a colt, which signified that right, somebody special was coming into town. But the fact that he's on a donkey and not a war horse was a symbol of triumph. If he was going out to battle, he's not gonna be on a two-year-old donkey. That's not the ride you wanna be on going into battle on your little donkey, right? You wanna be on a war horse with armor and like geared up and painted and ready for battle, ready to intimidate. This was a symbol of a king who was returning from war triumphant, coming into town, riding on a colt. And so as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, we see the crowd begin to respond, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the king of Israel. Jesus is entering into the city, not as a king headed into battle, but as a triumphant king, which is interesting because he's headed to the cross, which doesn't look like triumph, does it? It looks like defeat. So as Jesus enters into Jerusalem this Palm Sunday, this first Palm Sunday, headed to the cross, he's looking to the resurrection. The resurrection isn't a hope, it's a reality. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, celebrating the resurrection that is gonna come seven days later. And so we read here that there's a prophecy written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And that was a messianic prophecy. One of the ways that a, that a Jew would know that the Messiah was coming is that he would be riding into town on a donkey's colt. And so they're, they're, they're getting excited. This is him. Finally, God has sent our Savior. Now, what I want to do is I want to focus now on this emphasis of Jesus as king. That seems to be a significant part of what's happening here on Palm Sunday, if you will. This is kind of like a, a spontaneous coronation service for a king. And all the pieces are coming together, right, to where this wasn't planned from on the part of the people. It was planned on God's part. But now all the people are erupting and responding spontaneously. And since this is a coronation, they're declaring publicly, this is our king. We look at the broader context of the Gospel of John and we see that in fact, this is the way John, the Gospel writer, wants us to see Jesus. Jesus is not our good luck charm. He's not just our homie or our buddy. He's bigger than that. You go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter one, where uh, Jesus is calling his first disciples to come follow him. And if you remember, it was Philip who first came to Christ before Nathaniel. And then Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. He's like, you gotta come see it. I think the Messiah is here. You gotta come check this guy out. And so Nathaniel comes to Jesus and he's pretty skeptical. But then Jesus is like, well, let me just tell you a little something about, about yourself, Nathaniel, that you don't think I know. Before you got invited to come see me, you were sitting next to a fig tree. He's like, whoa, how did you know that? And so in John 1, this is the beginning of the gospel of John. In verse 48, we read that Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, 
Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so from the beginning of the Gospel of John, John wants us to see Jesus as the King of Israel. Now, what's interesting is that as the Gospels unfold, whether you're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you're going to notice moments where like Jesus has an opportunity to step up and be a a huge celebrity public figure, but he doesn't. Instead, he draws away into quiet and he tells the people there, hey, don't say anything about this. Have you ever noticed those spots? You're like, why would Jesus do that? All of it's coming together right now because there is a special moment coming where Jesus will go public with his kingship. So you look at like John chapter six, if you will. Jesus performs a miracle and the people are like, this is it, we've got to celebrate, we've got to coronate our king. And John 6, verse 14, we read that when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is Jesus saying, hey, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. We're gonna do this a special way. And in this moment, Jesus has got Palm Sunday in mind. I'm coming into Jerusalem at Passover. I'm gonna be riding on a donkey's colt. Prophecies are gonna be fulfilled and the people are going to respond. It's not time yet. Hold that thought. We look at later on in the Gospel of John, it takes like two chapters to describe all of Jesus's interactions with Pilate. And the bulk of the content of their conversation is really about his kingship, whether or not he is a king. And we'll read from John 18. Here's the conversation between Jesus and Pilate, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did someone or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, things would be different right now. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Jesus is saying, if, what is he saying? If my kingdom is not of this world, if it was, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you. You'd be sitting here in front of me. but my kingdom is not from the world. Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And we know that later on in the next chapter, um, Pilate is gonna hand um, Jesus over to the Jews to be flogged or to, to, and he's gonna be then sent to the cross. But then what, one of the details is that Pilate has a sign made. So Jesus is crucified different from other criminals. He's crucified, but Pilate has a sign made that says Jesus is the king of the Jews. So we get to that part of the chapter. Uh, this is in 19, starting in 14. Now it was the day of preparation for, of the Passover it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. 
which is interesting because they were in that moment giving homage to the Roman emperor. So then he has the sign made in verse 21. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said I am the king of the Jews. To which Pilate responds, what I have written, I've written. It's not gonna change. And so we see the bulk of the content of this, this last trial before Pilate is about Jesus's kingship and whether or not he truly was the king of the Jews. So the the theme and the message of the gospel of John clearly is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the fulfillment of all that was prophesied. Everything that God said would take place in and through the Messiah is taking place in and through Jesus. Everything that the nation of Israel was looking forward to and holding on to is being fulfilled in Jesus. You look at the broader story of the scriptures themselves. We look at Revelation and how things unfold. We see that the broader story of the Bible is that Jesus is in fact the king not just the king of the Jews, but the king of all kings, to which not just the knees of the, of the Jews will bow, but the knees of every person will bow. Every tongue will confess that what Jesus is Lord. Now listen, that is different from how Jesus gets packaged up and delivered out in the world we live in today. Too much of our view of Jesus is that he is my buddy. He goes with me where I go, we hang out. As long as I spend time with my buddy and we have coffee together in the morning, my day goes good. And if my day starts going bad, I go back and hang out with my buddy. Listen, your savior is your king. And I know in a democracy, it's hard for us to fathom that, isn't it? We don't have earthly examples of good kings. That's why we tend to push the idea of democracy. But I think if we were all real honest, there's a lot of good that comes from living in a democracy versus a tyranny, but there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. It's not a perfect system, is it? Case in point, 2020. If you didn't catch it, 2021. And it still won't work in 2022. It's a decent way to operate with sinful, fallible people in charge. But it's not, it's not the solution. We are citizens of a kingdom and we have a king and he is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Well, if that's true, then that means he is our king individually right? Which means we don't just come in here and celebrate Jesus as, you know, the Jesus pep rally thing, but we come in here to do what? The same thing they were doing on the streets of Jerusalem, to express our adoration, our desperate need of a king to save us. That's why we just sang those words, glory, power, and honor to you, Jesus. Majesty to you, Jesus. Why? Because he's our king, So it's interesting if we read the very next verse in John 12, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. That's why here in just a few days, Peter's gonna deny him. How many times? Three. All the disciples are gonna be hiding in the shadows at the crucifixion. John's the only one close enough to write a detailed account. But they don't get it at first. They're not understanding in the moment the significance of what is happening. But when Jesus is glorified at his resurrection, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. That's so important. We're not watching history unfold. What seems like a spontaneous eruption 
coronation here is not spontaneous from God's perspective. It's already written about, past tense. God writes things down, then they unfold, so we know what? He's in charge. He's got this. He's bigger than our everyday circumstances. So that in our everyday circumstances, we wouldn't think that every day is just left to happenstance. No, we have a king. And he sits in the sovereignty over the world and over the universe and over eternity. That is who we're singing about and singing to when we gather as his people. So I want you to think about two things. One, the idea of a kingdom. So if Jesus is our king and we're citizens of his kingdom, when we come together as his people, as the saints of God, to sing and to celebrate and to worship, this is a gathering of God's kingdom. The church is God's kingdom on the ground right now. Those who've gone before us, who've died in faith in Christ are part of the kingdom. But right now, right, God's kingdom on the ground, on the earth is the church. So we come together, we come together as citizens of God's kingdom, which means that when we step back out into the world, we do so as what? Foreigners, aliens in a foreign land. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Our citizenship is in heaven. We have a righteous king who we submit to, which means then, right? When we, when we live our lives in submission to a king, we live differently. Let's just talk openly and candidly for a moment. The culture we live in is changing rapidly. And not for the better for Christianity. The American society is turning more and more adverse to the basic principles of Christianity. And used to, like when I say used to, like 20 years ago, you could pretty much stay out of the confrontation, especially here in the Bible Belt, and just not say anything and avoid the confrontation. But the days are changing and the time is coming when the confrontation is coming to you. And the question is gonna be asked of you. Are you gonna stand for the principles of the scripture and the principles of the kingdom? I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for going out looking for a fight. I'm saying the fight is coming to the church. And in those moments, you're gonna to have to decide who your king is. Are you gonna stand for the principles of the kingdom? Are you gonna stand and declare Jesus is my king? Therefore, my life aligns with him and the tenets of his kingdom. I will not bow. I will not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Why? Because I have a king. So not only does this describe what happens when we come together as his people on Sundays as little snapshots of the kingdom. Think about this for just a minute. So the church has not been established yet on Palm Sunday, but in some ways this is like one of the first worship services. Think about that. Like this is setting a trajectory for how the church is together on Sundays. Like the citizens of Jerusalem, we need to be that excited. We need to be crying out with that level of, of desperation and adoration every time we get together. It's a, it's a coronation of our king. It's a celebration that we have a king. But not only that, it is also an indication of how we should live our lives on an everyday basis. Living our lives on mission for our king. That's what it means to be an image bearer. You go out into the world and you bear the image of your king. When people bring up a conversation, you're looking for opportunities to talk about your king. Why would, you wanna, why would you wanna follow what the Bible says? Because the Bible <laughs> was written by my king. I'm not following an arbitrary document, historical old prehistoric document. I'm submitting my life to a living resurrected king. This just be, happens to be his word. Are you with me? 
Why would you want to? Why would you want to subscribe to an old prehistoric faith? I mean, Christianity is old, isn't it? Outdated. Why? Because our King is alive. Any other religion or or spirituality or anything else that you would ascribe to, whoever started it is dead, and if not, they will be soon. Like that's the point here. This is why his entry into Jerusalem is triumphant. We have a king who goes into battle for us and dies on our behalf and resurrects victoriously over sin and death. Now my question is, are you a citizen of his kingdom? That's what it means to be a Christian. So I wanna end here today. I think there are two key words in that last verse. The word understand and then remember. Okay, so they didn't understand at first what was going on, but then once they saw Jesus resurrected, they remembered. And so I just wonder like where you're at today. Are you at a place where you're seeking understanding on what it means to be a Christian, how to become a Christian? Who is this, who is this Jesus? So my prayer for you is gonna be that to, even today, God would reveal himself to you. God would bring understanding to your mind and heart that you might trust in Christ as your savior. For the rest of us who've done that, maybe today's the day to remember. Oh, that's right, I have a king. That's right, I need to live my life on mission for my king. And so I wanna end with just a few questions for you to think about. So there's a difference between being a fan of Jesus versus being a follower of him. The streets of Jerusalem are lined with both. There are some who are already beginning to become true followers of Jesus, and there are some who are just part of the crowd. This looks like fun. I like singing songs. I like palm branches and big parties, and, 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 right, and that's what it means to be a fan, You're just part of the crowd. I think it's a description of even the church today. When we gather together, there are those who are fans and there are those who are followers. I'm just asking you to think about it. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a true follower? As you think about that, I want you to think about this. Do the decisions you make in your everyday life give any kind of indication that you have a king? Do you take it into account at all? You're making a decision. What does my king say about this? How would my king direct this decision? What does his word say about how I am to make this decision? Or do you just rely on your own intuition? Right, because there's a difference. If we have a king, right, we, our lives submit to him. We follow him. And then last, I would ask you this. Have you come to the place in your life where you have for the first time cried out in desperation, Jesus, save me. I need you. And if you have not, I'm not gonna try to trick you. I'm about to pray for you. (laughs) I, I want you to make that decision before you leave here. And after I pray for you, if you wanna talk with somebody about that, we have elders and pastors here. Our elders have lanyards on. Grab an elder. You know who most of our pastors are. I'm a pastor, Nick's a pastor, Jeremy, Blake, Jeff, grab one of us. If you can't find any of us, find somebody who looks like they know what's going on and say, hey, can you point me to an elder or pastor? Like, we wanna talk with you today. We wanna talk with you before you leave here today that you might make that decision to trust Jesus as your king. So let's pray. Um, Our band's gonna come up and lead us in a time of singing and responding. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this powerful reminder on Palm Sunday that really this whole day is about our acknowledgement of you as king. This is, this is a coronation service. It's a time for us to come together as the citizens of your kingdom and declare to the world that you are king. And Father, some here today may be at a place where they've never done that. They've never reached out. They've never prayed in faith and cried out, Jesus, save me. And so today I'm praying, God, I'm asking 
that you would draw that person to yourself, open up their mind to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And and God, for the vast majority of the rest of us, Father, this would be a day of remembering. Maybe even for some of us, recalibrating our hearts. Maybe we walked in here today, the king of our own universe, and we'll leave out of here today. God, submitting our lives once again to your throne, declaring together that you are our king. So Holy Spirit, we pray you would now move in this room through our hearts, call all of us to yourself, speak to us, work in us, we pray in Jesus' name.